Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. And take the feed. Do you watch <coughs> Do you watch college basketball? I do. <clears throat> Who's your team? Um, I root for Michigan. Um, because fight, fiercely, Harvard. A fight, a fight, a fight. A you can't root for Harvard in the sports bar without getting beat up. So <laughs> you watch Kansas? Yeah, because there's different tiers, right? Division one. Division one would be like. Hey, you and Duke and, right? Michigan. And, yeah. This is More Perfect. I'm Jad Abumrad. Those voices are Susie Lechtenberg, More Perfect executive producer, Ellie Mistal, legal editor. Oh, Alabama also. Okay, so we made an album this season. We asked a bunch of musicians to interpret the 27 amendments to the U.S. Constitution. On the podcast, we're telling stories about those amendments, stories about why they matter, like little audio liner notes to the songs. Now, the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment. Abolition of slavery. This is one of our most important. It was put in right after the Civil War to put an end to this national trauma of slavery. And once it was in, that was that, right? It did its job back in 1865, and now it's kind of dormant, right? Well, not exactly. There is this little matter of the NCAA. Should we tell people what NCAA stands for? Susie and Ellie, take it from here. The NCAA is the National Collegiate Collegiate Athletic Association. It is the governing body for college sports. All of them. It's the men's track and field championship day one of two. It's the final day of the Division I men's swimming and diving championship. Wrestling championships. Women's fencing championships. And volleyball championships. 24 different sports from soccer to rowing to water polo to gymnastics. But the revenue generating ones are college football. It's time to settle the madness. And men's college basketball. How much money do they bring in? $1.1 billion. And how much do the players make? <laughs> the players make $0 and zero cents while they play. Now, you may have heard of all this. It's been covered quite a bit. Uh, we do have hungry nights that we don't have enough money to get food, and sometimes, you know, money is needed. Uh, it so. really leapt into a lot of people's consciousness back in 2014 when this guy, Shabazz Napier, who was a star player for the University of Connecticut, said, during an interview. There's a, there are hungry nights that, uh, that I go to bed and uh, I'm starving. So, uh, that he didn't have enough money to eat. And this was just a few days before Napier. Wow. he would score 22 points and lead UConn to win the national championship. You know, you feel like you, 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 um, you want some, some, something in return. The euphemism for all of this um, is amateurism. These are student athletes. They're not, you know, professional athletes. They're they're uh, not what some people are arguing they should become as unionized employees of the university. They can't pay players because the ideals, the traditional ideals of amateurism are that people play for the love of the sport and not for financial gain. And this would somehow spoil that? And somehow paying them enough to eat would spoil that. Now, interestingly, if you survey people on this issue, which we did, and the Washington Post has also done. I think that they should get paid. 
what you'll find. How much, how much do you think they should get paid? I mean, depending on how much the school is making off the athlete. I was a student athlete. Yeah. I definitely feel like you should get paid. They should get paid. Being an athlete is a full-time job, and you're a student, you have to be full-time as well. So that's basically two full-time jobs. Even though they say they're getting a free education, they still profit margin on them is, is way too high. What you'll find is that a majority of black people who are surveyed... Why are they, why are they playing for nothing when the coaches are getting millions of dollars? Say, yeah, a student should get paid. There's no parity in that. On the other hand... Do you think they should get paid? No, absolutely not. How come? Um, because they're college students. You'll find that most white people, about 6 out of 10, will say no. I kind of believe they are getting paid by getting scholarships. Aren't they getting a scholarship? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's enough. I think if they're in a full scholarship, that's a lot more pay than any other college kid would ever get. No. I I really, really don't think so. I, 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 look. Ellie again? Um, part of what my head always goes back to is... There's a lot of this conversation that should have been settled already. And it should have been settled in 1865 when we passed the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment. Abolition of slavery. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Okay, so what does NCAA basketball have to do with the 13th Amendment? Well, the 13th Amendment was ratified after the end of the Civil War. It abolished slavery. Involuntary servitude. But there's sort of this asterisk that says, Except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, that involuntary servitude is okay if you are in prison. This is why states can use prisoners to build roads and fight fires and do all kinds of things and not have to compensate them. And believe it or not, this is what the NCAA indirectly cited as a way to defend their practice. Back in 2016, two Penn State runners sued the NCAA saying they should get paid. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals came back with a verdict saying, no, they don't have to pay you. In their reasoning, the judges pointed to a case about prisoners not getting paid because of the 13th Amendment. And understandably... This comparison between NCAA athletes and prisoners made a lot of people angry. It definitely has a racial overtone because we're not talking about this in hockey and baseball. No, we're conveniently having this conversation about the two sports in particular, basketball and football, that are predominantly black. Including former NCAA players. What the NCAA has become. Who have since gone pro. And how the contracts are basically structured. You know, they're indentured servants' contracts. It's a total scam, the fact that this, uh, the fact that they're a nonprofit organization. It's a business model based on a plantation business model. My, my grandfather grew up on a plantation, so if I don't know if people know what that is. But the promise of the plantation was that next year we'll get better. We'll never let you see the books. We'll never let you see how much cotton you pick. This is just how much it worked. And speaking to the great Bill Russell, we had a conversation and basically he said college is slavery. I, I just really dislike this language. I understand what people mean. Echo Yanka, law professor at Cardozo, Michigan fan. First thing my children wore when they were born were Michigan onesies. My boys can all sing the fight song at four. But Echo says, look. You know, so the connection is a core labor law case. This analogy that college athletes are to colleges as prisoners are to prisons is unfortunate. Quite unfortunately, then said, look. But... 
All that's really being said is that these students are not employees. No one was calling athletes indentured servants or slaves. And I think the NCAA is deeply broken and needs to be fixed. Um, but there's a casual cheapness to the way in which people toss around, you know, this is like slavery, that is like slavery, in ways that I think actually devalues the argument on all sides. It, it just makes my skin crawl. I'm with you. They're not slaves. Slave, chattel slavery was a horrible thing. Ellie again. And having to play for Nick Saban is not the same thing. I get it. But one of the things that bothers me about 13th Amendment conversations is that there is a there is there is a desire by certain people to look at the 13th Amendment, hang a mission accomplished banner on it and and then consign it to history. Oh, slavery was bad. Fix that and we're done. No. That's not what the 13th Amendment was about. That's not what it was ever intended to be about. The very first cases about the 13th Amendment talked not just about abolishing slavery, but about abolishing the incidents and badges of slavery. Um, the 13th Amendment was a powerful legal doctrine that should have allowed Congress to go in and root out not just slavery, but discrimination. And when I look at the NCAA, what I see are the incidents and badges of slavery. These players are indentured servants. They must play. They must play for free. They must play where they're told to play. They must play when they're told to play. On the backs of, oh, but you, sign, but you signed up for this scholarship. Scholarship, by the way, can be taken away if they play poorly. Look, I think this is important, but when I think about the badges and incidents of slavery, I think about our current prison system. I think about the huge numbers of African-Americans who are disproportionately imprisoned, disproportionately arrested. I think about the fact that people lack the right to vote. Those, to me, are the badges and incidents of slavery. Echo um, says he agrees with the overall spirit of what Ellie and some of these athletes are saying. He just thinks we're looking in the wrong place if we focus on that. But it strikes me that what is really happening here isn't about the athletes. It's about a subtler, harder question. What is our relationship to our past? Like, the history that the 13th Amendment was designed to solve? Is that history still with us? How much? And where is it right to point at something and say we are the way we are because of that? Because of how we were? And where is it a bridge too far? That conversation is going to be with us for a long time. Because, you know, at the very least, it comes around every March. Are you ready for some March Madness? Oh, save the women and children! Holy mackerel! Capers in trouble with five seconds to go. Lost the dribble, found it again, leans in. That's no good. Back tap, Napier for the win! More perfect executive producer Susie Lechtenberg with liner notes for the 13th Amendment. Thanks also to Ellie Mistal, contributing legal editor to our show, and Echo Yanka, law professor at Cardozo. Okay, on the album side of things, we had two different artists who submitted songs for the 13th Amendment. The first... 
comes from Brooklyn-based soul singer Bette Smith. Chorus on the song is just, oh. That's an excerpt from Bette Smith's song about the 13th Amendment. You can hear the whole thing at themostperfectalbum.org. We also got a second song, and we're going to go out on this one. It comes from rapper Cash Doll. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this. of a crime and when that crime that you committed probably don't fit the time how you building ships for nasty and they pay you a dime a conspiracy they try to censor you when you speak they can't hide behind the sheets so not they do you like me meanwhile you taking chances out here trying to survive yeah not a lot has changed since 1865 but still they try to teach you that everybody's equal until you up for the same job as white people just know until we walk into the gates of the kingdom we gonna stand here united ready to fight for our freedom that was cash doll with 13th amendment Again, you can hear the whole thing at themostperfectalbum.org. I'm Jad Abumrad. We'll continue in a moment. This is More Perfect. I'm Jad Abumrad. This season, uh, we asked a bunch of different musicians to interpret the 27 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, which resulted in an album. And uh, one of the great joys of that was watching all of these people take these stodgy words and uh, make it personal. Uh, and so with that in mind, uh, you know, we, we did the liner note for the, thir- for the 13th Amendment. Here's, uh, here's the next one from producer Julia Longoria. Tell me, tell me the origin story of, uh, of your tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people are going to say like, wow, this girl's a b- her. Like, what an obnoxious friend. Julia, why are you her friend? Um, <laughs> um, so recently, my roommate and best friend. <laughs> my name is Aaliyah Marie Almeida. Was on a quest to troll me. I love to annoy you <laughs> and ask you obnoxious things, not only in private, but in public. And privately, I had asked you earlier if you were stranded on an island with three amendments. What three amendments would you pick? <laughs> and he rolled your eyes and walked away from me. Um, and I was like, damn it, that didn't really work. 
And so what ended up happening, and I love this because this project has created a lot of um, odd conversations for all of us in our in our daily lives. But uh, Aaliyah ended up tweeting the question at the entire show. Like all my coworkers. And I said, Julia, if you were to go on a date with an amendment, which amendment would it be? Who's the lucky who's the lucky amendment? <laughs> this is this is classic Aaliyah where she's just like talking stupid but she manages to hit the nail on the head for like what the whole season's about. Like we're taking you out on dates with the amendments. You listen to the sexy songs, you hear stories about them, spend some time, ask them questions. You get to know them a little. No pressure. We're not making hour-long episodes about these things. They're short first dates with the amendments. <clears throat> okay, so in your head, like when you're writing this, do you have an amendment in mind for you? I think I would do nine, actually. Yeah? yeah. Tell me more. Okay, so nine, I'm going to pull up my phone really quickly um, just to, like, remember this. Mm-hmm. Um, it says the enumeration in the Constitution of Certain Rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. The Ninth Amendment is about the rights that we have that aren't necessarily listed in the Constitution. They call these penumbral rights. And looked at one way, this amendment is about the possibilities. So to me, the, the Ninth is kind of like glove at first sight or something, or mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it already likes even like the weird corners of, of you that like you don't know. Yeah. You know, like the tall, dark, mysterious guy that like everyone's, oh, he's so hot. Like, that's nine. <laughs> you know, or like, yeah. she's hot. Like, I don't want to give gender to the amendments, but <laughs> like, that's another <laughs> can of worms. Yeah. But I think this is where we differ on the ninth because I feel like it would be good for like a couple dates. But like, when you get down to it, it's like, okay, okay, bro, but like, really? <laughs> what are you actually about? And they're like, you know, like, just like penumbras, you know, like penumbras. And then you're like, okay, I'm done with the stargazing. Like, I'm ready to move on. But you're saying you want to like marry number nine? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying I want to date. Like, do we have to, you know, we don't, I, I don't know what I want in my life. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I would marry nine. I, I don't know. I know my dad would want me to be like with the Second Amendment. <laughs> That's the right to bear arms. Would you date 19? Would I date 19? I mean... 19, of course, is women's right to vote. Yeah, I guess I would date 19. I don't know. I feel like that's another settling amendment, you know? Like, (laughs) oh, great, like you treat women with respect. It's like just the vote. That's That's it. it. That's it. Like, what, what amendment would you end up marrying, you think? I, the one, the one... Right. is the 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment. Citizenship rights, equal protection, apportionment, civil war debt. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. This is like, this is the amendment that grants citizenship. It grants equality. Equal protection of the law. Like it has all of the, all the, the stuff, you know, like it, it checks all the boxes, but it just like if, if it would just live up to its goddamn potential, then maybe maybe we could do this. Because, I mean, you look look at the history of the 14th Amendment, like Japanese internment, dude, like these people were born in the U.S. They're citizens. Why can't we seem to live by the, the beautiful things in 
written right there in the Constitution. Or like 14th Amendment, you date for a couple of months and then they tell you like, hey, like maybe you want to get tested. I have chlamydia. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think 14th would have chlamydia. I mean, whatever, not to stigmatize. (laughs) But equal protection of the laws, that's like, God damn, like, I would marry that. Yeah. If it would live up to its potential. I I mean, does any amendment like amendments, right? Ugh, they're so typical. <laughs> they don't solve all your problems. They talk a big game, but when push <laughs> comes to shove, do they show up? Like, we're looking for amendments to, like, tuck us in at night. That's not what they're going to do. They're just not. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them won't. Are you, are you still holding out hope for the ninth? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I just really love it. It's so good. Like, I want to be like 60 years old on a rocking chair in a Florida room, sitting with the amendment and being like, hey, did I ever tell you about this thing? Like, when I was little. And I want the amendment to turn to me and be like, what? You've never told me this story. This is insane. <laughs> There's such a lot of world. To see mm-hmm. and More Perfects, Julia Longoria with her pal, Aaliyah Almeida. And uh, before I go, I just want to say that uh, this is really an introduction to the poem, the one and only poem on the album from Sarah Kay. My name is Sarah Kay. And this poem, it was inspired by the 14th Amendment and tells the story of her grandmother, who was uh, interned during World War II in Japanese internment camps, even though she was an American citizen. And I think I spend a lot of time now um, wondering what it means to pledge allegiance to a country that does not pledge allegiance to you. Um, and that's what I, what I think about when I think about the 14th Amendment. You can listen to Sarah's poem at themostperfectalbum.org. And that's it. I'm out. The 14th Amendment changed the way our Constitution works. It took some time, but it overturned uh, the infamous Dred Scott decision, and it was supposed to make black people full citizens of the United States. Over the years, uh, lawyers like Thurgood Marshall, who would become a justice, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, also would become a justice. They used it to fight for racial equality and gender equality. And today that fight continues with LGBTQ people, immigrants, the disabled, countless others. The 14th Amendment has become pivotal to those battles. But those battles, obviously, as we see in the news this week, in fact, continue. So I guess you could say a full 150 years after it was ratified, the 14th is still a work in progress. The Civil War has ended, it's now 1865. Reconstruction Act is put in place to fix the state's divide. State governments are abolished and new ones are created. But there's much more that must be Namdi Obunaya wrote a song for us about the 15th Amendment. Kind of speaks for itself. So we're going to play the whole thing. Eight, eight, 
That's Namdi Obanaya with a song for the 15th Amendment. Musically, the harmonies on that song are just bananas. And I'm amazed at how deeply researched that song is. And actually, that is kind of the case for the second song that was uh, made for us about the 15th Amendment. I'm going to put that on right after I read the credits. More Perfect is produced by me, Jad Abumrad, Susie Lechtenberg, Julia Longoria, Kelly Prime, Sarah Kari and Alex Overington, with help from Ellie Mistal, Michelle Harris, and David Gable. Thank you. Big thank you to Nora Keller for her help making our record 27 the most perfect album. Thanks to Jeffrey Wright for reading the amendments for us. You can listen to all the songs and read short, funny essays about all of the amendments at themostperfectalbum.org. I'm Chad Abumrad. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Aisha Burns, and I wrote a song about the 15th Amendment. Not by race, not by color, nor the chains that once was under. My main inspiration for the general tone and feel of the song came from the complexity of the amendment and the context under which it was passed. Fifteen, fifteen. The 15th Amendment. No longer a distant dream. It gave black Americans the right to vote. And for a while, it really changes things. Um, the first black man votes the day after the amendment is passed. I won't be cast Over 600 black men join local, state, and federal uh, legislative bodies. And there's this real sense of agency within the black community in those years. However, by the end of the decade, states start passing their own laws that 
practically nullify the 15th Amendment. Um, things like poll taxes and grandfather clauses. So the main challenge that I faced while while arranging the song was deciding, man, how do I tell this story of what at first maybe seemed like this big moment of triumph and power. And so there's kind of this eerie feeling that lingers through the song, but at the same time, the vocals especially kind of give this sense of having overcome something, which I, and I think both of those things were true. As a black American, it felt really important to me to to tell that story in its full complexity. Yeah.